Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. I am always excited to share with my audience in 140 countries, every corner of this globe. I share stories of people who have gone through extreme circumstances. They're ordinary people with extraordinary stories, and each one of them has come out the other side successful and wanting to share their story. These stories can be people who have overcome severe disease or trauma, possible poverty, variety of abuse, mental disorders, physical disorders, even victims of war. And so each story is unique, but they all have the same thread, and that thread is the thread of hope. Because very often, my guess, that's all they had was just that thread of hope to cling on to and turn their lives around. So I'm so excited to share these stories because many people relate who listen in and are looking for hope, for tips, for stories of success, to be motivated, or just to be inspired. And so I thank you, all my guests, and also, of course, all my listeners. Thank you for your feedback for your input, for your comments, for sharing. Each of us appreciates it as as guests. Thank you again. With me today, I have Awilda Rivera. She is a results-orientated success coach. She has been able to dedicate her life to helping others succeed. This is my kind of Gail, this is a, the type of person who really makes this show because people are always looking for those who can help us to succeed. And so I thank, thank her for being on the show today. She has the tools that will assist you in making the progress you desire. And the people that she gears into are entrepreneurs, career professionals, and small business owners. So there may be people who already are on that path, but they need some assistance. They need some some strategies, some, some help, and motivation and encouragement. And that's what my guest is going to share today. So I thank you so much, and welcome, Awilda. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Carol. I'm super excited to be here. So let's start from the beginning. And we'll start with your childhood. So for most of us, 
our childhood molds us into who we become as adults. You know, our childhood definitely affects us later in life. Now, can you recall anything that happened in your childhood that would motivate you to want to be a success and possibly some of the challenges you had to face? Yes. I mean, I think in no, in no short terms, <clears throat> my experiences with my parents really directly impacted me. On the one hand, they were both, or are, excuse me, because they're both still living, they are both extremely intelligent, charismatic, um, go-getters that are intelligent and able to be adaptable and, as we say in New York, make a dollar out of 15 cents when they need to. (laughs) On the other hand, right, my experiences growing up in a single parent home or in a in a what we want might maybe called a fractured home environment definitely impacted me mm. in other ways that made it easier for me to understand what I really wanted to do later on that makes sense. I appreciate that. Can you share anything in particular or, or is it basically just Sure. I mean, you know, I won't get into too much detail to respect their privacy. Um, but suffice to say that it wasn't a 2017 modern family kind of situation. You know, it wasn't a everyone's on great terms and we're all going on picnics together. It was a very USSR, USA (laughs) kind of 1970s Cold War situation, you know, and I even had to go through the family court system. I have a lot of memories of having to go in chambers with judges and or the judge rather and just have frank conversations about ultimately what it is that I wanted to do. And at a very young age being somewhat aware but also not completely prepared for the impact of those decisions. That must have created some fears in your life. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, (laughs) why don't you address address those fears a little bit? Because that's something that a lot of people deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I'm pretty open with my friends and family. I say, listen, therapy is a great thing. Um, I think that if if you've experienced any kind of trauma and when you're a kid, if you have anything related around your family, that's, you know, that's a trauma within itself. Um, I also experienced a, a bit of death growing up. So saw a lot of people close to me die at a, at a young age, not through any sort of like violent circumstances, but tragic nonetheless, you know, AIDS and cancer or that kind of thing. A lot of that creates attachment issues, but also creates a, I forget what the appropriate term is, but it's something like catastrophic, catastrophic thinking, Okay. which is this kind of this, this thinking that no matter what is good, something bad is definitely around the corner. It's like what the, in the old school, they used to say, you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right? You're, you're expecting the negative because it's right. happened and so it's, often. And it's something that you don't even realize that you have in your mind, right? That's a part of this mindset. And nowadays we hear a lot of people talk about mindset, but, you know, and I just did a piece on it that I'm going to be publishing soon on my website. But what we don't realize is that mindset at its core 
is belief and mental toughness. And so whatever you believe is what is going to, you're going to draw to you energetically. And that's going to reflect in your mental toughness, right? So if you don't believe you can, then you won't. And if you don't believe you can, how can you be mentally tough to persevere when obstacles and challenges that are inevitable come your way? And, you know, that's a real struggle for a lot of people, isn't it? Because you're you're battling between the negative and the positive, between having a good attitude and not having a good attitude. And I like what you said. The mindset is at it, its core because it, it's how you re- respond, isn't it? It's how you react to situations, even though you may not want to, but... Am I hearing you correctly that sometimes we just automatically do it because of what's at our core? Yes, sometimes if we're not aware, right, because we're all at different levels of awareness, self and otherwise, right? And this is not a metaphysical term, but in the corporate world even, they're starting to talk about emotional intelligence. And a big part of emotional intelligence is self-awareness and self-management. So if we are not aware of how our thinking is affecting our actions, how can we manage our actions? So what motivated you to want to help others in this arena? Well, I was very blessed. I was very lucky to find multiple people throughout my lifetime, still to this day, who take an interest in me and out of the kindness of their heart want to help me, give me different opportunities. And from a very young age, I knew that That was something that I didn't know the term, I guess, pay it forward at that point. Mm -hmm. But I knew that that was something that I needed to continue. My grandmother had a big hand in raising me in my very early years. And as you know, as you said at the beginning of this, during that time, a lot of our experiences leave an indelible mark. And she was someone that had the spirit of charity, the spirit of Mm -hmm. giving, the spirit of community, right? She was a woman who raised pretty much half of the neighborhood um, (laughs) in one way or another over the years. And she was loved, you know, same thing on my mother's side. That was my, my father's mother, same thing on my mother's side. Her father was a single dad in the fifties. Maybe he wasn't perfect, but through his age also was revered in the neighborhood, had a loving sort of that loved character that everyone saw out the window they'd be like oh that's poppy you know mr santana um and so i saw that emulated in my elders if we want to call them that and even though i may have been experiencing whatever i was going through with my parents right that was foiled by in a literary sense the experience with my elders and their consistent compassion and love and generosity. One thing that I appreciate that's coming through when you're talking is the fact that you are not blaming. Because very often, you know, whether it's a, a, a low scale or a high scale in our life, these the challenges that we've had to endure, is we end up blaming somebody for that. But I don't hear that from you, and I appreciate that. Uh, you are taking those negative experiences and learning from them and turning them into something positive. And not casting blame. But what can you do to change, right? What can you do to improve yourself? Absolutely. And, you know, I don't want to take too much credit. Like I said, therapy is a beautiful thing. (laughs) And over time, you know, we grow. You know, I definitely had my blame time. But I think that especially as a success coach, I I like to 
make sure people know that, hey, I'm not just out here preaching it, trying to make a dollar, but I also live it. So if yes. you look at the philosophy of growth mindset, right, which you see a lot of hashtags out there, millionaire mindset, money mindset, but like, what are they really talking about? And if you go back to the, the beginning, the growth mindset, Dr. Carol Dweck's philosophy around that is saying, hey, okay, I might have my quote unquote God given talent or my ability, but as long as I know that I need to keep learning at the end of the day and I need to remain adaptable and change with as, you know, as circumstances demand, then I'm going to be better suited to not just succeed and survive, but excel. And oh, that's something that it takes time and different people have different timelines for that, right? To come to that understanding. But I firmly believe that when you do, the effects of it, the, the benefits of it are immeasurable in a positive way. Excellent. Now, there was a time when you came to a place in your life where you were feeling hopeless, other than your childhood possibly, and that was when you failed the New York, New Jersey bar exam. Tell us about that journey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's interesting because it's not something I talk about often, but I'm very open about it and public about it. And I've, the, the, the crazy thing about it is throughout the entire process of studying for the bar, I knew that my heart was not in it, right? It felt like something that I was doing because I had to, something I was doing because it was the logical next step. I went to law school. I'm expected to go and practice law, right? <laughs> but throughout that process of going to law school, because I had been a career student, I'd been in school almost sometimes double school since I was two, right up until my late 20s there's also a sense of detachment from one of the few things in my life that was very consistent so a lot of mixed emotions right yes, around yes. graduating from law school leaving the academic environment this very safe environment out into the world doing what i think i'm supposed to do but not what i really want to do and that translated into you know, what I can probably be comfortable in saying wasn't my strongest effort. And then beyond that, I wasn't taking the steps to create the right kind of environment around myself. Uh, I was allowing myself to be distracted. I was allowing myself to focus on other things. Now, in real life, right, and as we say it, colloquially, real talk, I also didn't have as much financial support in place as maybe some of my colleagues might have had. So there were other considerations as well mm. that I wasn't as easily able to look past. So I, and I accept that, right? But again, some of that was my own fault and my own doing, not having perhaps enough foresight or seeking out enough guidance from the appropriate sources to be forearmed. Long story short, I took the bar, you know, it was kind of like when I took the LSAT where I knew it wasn't going to be like an A. It wasn't going to be like other aspects of my life where I was like achieving at the highest level and it was like comfortable. It was going to be a learning experience. When I received the grade, but I, you know, I still went and was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not just going to chalk it again right. to say like, I'm not just going to give up. Like, this is what I've been working for since I was like 
seven, you know, to be a lawyer, like at a shame of dating myself, I, I was a Cosby show era child. Right. And because I was a latchkey kid, the Cosby show and shows like that, you know, different world and that kind of thing. I really sought to emulate those images of strong black families Uh or, you know, families of color. Right. Because there weren't really that many Puerto Rican families on TV. So I wanted to be, I literally, you can ask anyone that really knows me, they can tell you that up until I was about 15, I would say I wanted to be an OBGYN and an attorney and be a military reserve. (laughs) I wanted to be all of those things because those were the three ways that I saw in my life people get some type of consistency, whether it was on TV or in real life. So many people in my family were in the army, you know? Yes. And a lot of, you know, poor people and people of color in the 70s, 80s, they went to the army. And those people were the people that, like, had houses and, like, retired, you know, because they had money from the GI Bill or whatever, veterans care. So it was like, oh, maybe you should go that way. And then I was like, okay, here I see Cliff and Claire Huxville. I'm like, they have a brownstone. I want that. So I'm going to put all these things together and I'll be set. (laughs) It obviously sounds like you learned a lot from that experience itself. Oh, oh my gosh. Not and you Not can use that, that now, right? You, you're oh, using yeah. That. Absolutely. Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, when I failed the bar and I failed by not like a ton of points, right? The realization hit me so hard about basically how I had been in part of my life just going through the motion. And while I had thoroughly enjoyed, you know, like 85% or 80% of my law school education, I was completely oblivious to how moving kind of blindly through this process was going to affect me for the rest of my life in terms of, you know, loans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I say all that to say that standing on the other side of it, having gone through it, it's exactly what needed to happen Mm. for me to wake up and realize that, you know, I had I had worked in so many different areas of the law by the time I graduated before I took the bar and none of them felt great. Really? Really. Wow. <laughs> like I even ended what this is a true story. Like you can look up the records. I was taken in an ambulance from Hudson County Court to Jersey City Medical Center on pretty much the last day of my clerkship, having had a minor cardiac episode oh my goodness (laughs) you know it wasn't working out (laughs) you know my my spirit wasn't cool with it my body was rejecting it and look i'm not saying law is like hell that's not what i'm saying but what i'm saying is (laughs) dis-ease right because i have a lot of friends that are lawyers i love them they're great at what they do and they really do their clients an incredible service and great lawyers are hard to come by so i give them all the props But I had to be real with myself and say, hey, the same way you know you shouldn't be a politician because it wouldn't bring out the best in you. You shouldn't be a lawyer because it's going to make you miserable. So that was your aha moment. So where did you go from there? 
So from there, you know, I kind of went back to square one. What do I always love doing? Helping people. I reconnected with a nonprofit that I had been a, that I am an alumni of and got back involved with them. Um, I started trying to reach out through the nonprofit sector to different programs that connected with kids in New York City. And I really started to kind of turn back inward in all the various ways that one does that to kind of figure out, okay, well, who is a Wilda? What does she want? And how is she going to live? Because she's only 27 right now. And this is way too early to be having like any type of midlife anything. So let's get it together. And I had a friend that I'll never forget this. She said once to me, you know, we're getting too old to be saying, I don't know. And that's good. (laughs) You know, and we at the time we were like 25. And I think back on that moment and I reflect and I'm like, you know what? You can't just say, I don't know, because that's like a cop out. That's giving up. Yes, yes. You have to know something. Like, at least you might not know what you want, but you have to know what you don't want, right? That's a place to start. You know, kind of to answer your question more fully, I went back to to stage one, helping people through that, you know, looking for myself, reconnecting, you know, found a new relationship, fell in love, moved to Atlanta, started working at a startup with my partner in a very sort of socially conscious minded company, ended up leaving that not because it's a bad company, but because it only awakened me even more to wanting to do what I needed to do to help others, mm. right? And which led me to a wilderavera.com, which then took another, you know, probably two or three years to flesh out to its fullest form where it is right now, where I feel like, yes, these are the three branches in which I help people. They are can work together or alone. And this is what I have to offer the world, right? Or at least it's the beginning of it, and this is the way that it will be delivered. Yeah, and that's that's where I find myself now. So tell us about what it means to be a success coach and what you are offering. Yeah, so for me, being a success coach is threefold. One, knowing that it's always, first and foremost, and forever, about the client. It's about what the client needs what will best serve the client and what's in their best interest as they see fit, not what I think. That's number one. Number two, it's my job to hold the client accountable in a compassionate way that actually helps to empower them. Accountability in this world, you know, has gotten hard to come by. And so doing that in a really earnest way serves my client's tenfold you know Uh, and some uh of them even say more than that and the last part is really making sure that i'm using the tools and my training to assist the client in finding their perfect solutions right because science has shown and has proven that when we develop our own solutions we are 10 times more likely to execute and accomplish those on a high level. Whereas when we are just implementing someone else's strategies and we are not bought into them, or we're just kind of like, ah, oh, maybe I'll give it a try. We're more likely to experience not success or feel less than satisfied with our results. Your packages that you offer, success yes. packages, share about yes. that. Yes, 
Yes. So um, right now what I'm offering is bi-weekly coaching and monthly coaching. I do have something on there called a tune-up, but in full transparency, the tune-up really best serves someone who's already gone through at least one cycle of coaching and already has some of the tools under their belt and is kind of taking a longer time in between coming and checking back in. I really recommend, though, that before you make any determination about what you think you need or don't need, that you take me up on a free consultation because that's something I'm still offering for the time being that allows you to kind of experience what what is success coaching, what is the success conversion method. I've heard her talk about what she says she could do, but how do, how does that feel when I try it on, right? And I really firmly believe that if it's not the best fit for you, you shouldn't do it. Oh, I was just going to say, and all you got to do to do that is visit my website, aworldrivera.com. I'm sure you can check out check it out in the show notes and sign up for a complimentary consultation. And how long is the consultation? The consultation is about 30 to 45 minutes. Wow, that's um, great. Just to give you a real, you know, thorough assessment and for you to really get a sense of, of, of whether or not it's for you. And I'll, I'll tell you. If it's not for you, if if it's not a good fit, I'll just come I'll come right out and say it. I'll say, "Hey, you know, I don't know if this is really going to be the best fit for you right now based on what you're trying to accomplish." Or you may make that determination, right? You you may not uh really like it, right? But I think that the great thing about success coaching is that it's a really universally applicable methodology that's a Success conversion yes, method, yes, I, yeah. and so you know, I have clients that are engineers at Google, and I have clients that are entrepreneurs. I have clients that are working on you know, getting their personal lives in order in terms of just organizing themselves and their home and their their way that they execute things. And I have other clients that are looking to get a new job and they're working on their mindset and executing. And at the end of the day. What I ultimately bring is strategic planning, real-life accountability help, and I help you to create real deadlines and goals that can manifest in tangible, measurable results. So that was my next question, and you already answered it. Basically, who would benefit? So it's really anyone. You know, they always tell you in coaching school, never say that. Okay. Because because they're like, oh, you know, you need to have a niche. And the truth is, is that most of my clients, do they fall into the category of entrepreneur, you know, professional and business owner? Sure. But do I have clients that are complete outliers that are like working a nine to five and have a side hustle? Absolutely. Or people that are working on issues that aren't around professional development and maybe are around emotional intelligence, 100%. Don't think that because you don't fall into that category, you can't give me a call. But just know that the only quality you must have is some idea of where you want to go and some realistic appreciation of where you are. The rest we can work with. And how long do the like the packages? How much? How long of a time frame does that cover usually? Like yeah. how many sessions, etc. Sure. So the minimum cycle for any package is three months because it really takes three months to start to see some kind of change. Especially with this kind of coaching, you often uncover some other things that need a little bit of work before we can get to the thing we 
intended to start on. Mm. Um, and that can take a little bit of time. However, um, the biweekly, you get six sessions in that three-month period. And the monthly, you get three. Something that differentiates me, however, from other coaches is that for that person that has that three session, maybe it's a financial consideration, right? They get up to three laser coaching sessions, 10 to 15 minutes to work on a specific issue in between sessions should they need them. Okay. So they're not required to schedule them, but they're available. Well, what's that? what that is saying is that you really do want to see people be successful. You really do want to help them. Yes, absolutely. No, that, that I always say I don't line. want them to feel like they have to be floating out there in an abyss twiddling their thumbs until our next appointment because I'm too important. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is letting them know that what is important is making sure that I am present and making sure that I am really putting my head and my best abilities forward to help them get to where they want to go and helping them do that in a way that is making their success not just guaranteed, but inevitable. That sounds awesome. And you certainly have triggered some interest um, with me just because of the different things that you said. What that says to me, then, it triggers interest with many others as well because you're, you encompassed a lot of area there. And I appreciate that, you know, thinking, oh, this person would really benefit and I would benefit here. So thank you because... That certainly triggered a lot of interest in myself, just thinking about who could be helped, where I can promote this for you, and also just how I could be helped. In other words, I think that there is a wide variety of people, a huge variety of people that would be, that would benefit from your coaching. Like, is that all you deal with is success? Yeah, I mean, success is, is... To be fair, success is an umbrella term, right? That's that what we're I'm trying using to, say, right? to really encompass what is what we ultimately desire. Where, where do we ultimately desire to see ourselves, right? And so, the place that I start with all of my clients is: What will success look like to you if you could get there in three months? What would okay. that? What would? Okay. What would that look like? What would that feel like? What would that experience be? And that's where we go from, right? Because I might say, okay, Carol, for me, success would be having another three awesome, completely sold out international retreats um, and a waiting list of six months of my clients, right? Where someone else might say, oh, you know, getting that new promotion that just came on. Or a mom might say, just getting my freaking self-care regimen back. (laughs) Absolutely. Is there anything you want to say in conclusion? You know, I just want to say that it has been such a pleasure to kind of lift up the rock a little bit and look at some of the underbelly of the things that people don't really talk about. You know, the times where you felt really low, what what helped you change, what was challenging. And, and I really appreciate, Carol, that you create such a comfortable and welcoming environment to discuss these things that could be you know it could get awkward and I didn't yes, feel awkward yes. at all and oh, I really <laughs> I really appreciated that and I, I I really thank you for for holding the space in that way 
that was a very nice thing to say. I'm going to quote you on that. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free to do so. Now, before the show started, I did ask you for a mantra, and I really appreciate this one, and I'm going to share it in closing. She believed she could, so she did. I think that totally says it in a nutshell. Not only for you, but we can do the same thing. Believe in yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Believe in yourself and you'll do it. So I thank you for that. I thank you for the motivation and the encouragement in that area. And yes, we definitely will have all all your contact information in the show notes. And again, you have been a pleasure. And I thank you so much for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thanks for having me, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.